Hi, friends. Welcome back to the State Tax Show, your home for the world of state and local tax. I'm Matt Hunsaker. On today's show, I explain the Permanent Internet Tax Freedom Act and why a half dozen states are not looking forward to July 1st. recording this episode in Idaho. It's early in the morning and I'm outside on my sister's hobby farm. So if you hear any llamas or alpacas, my apologies. I gotta do what I gotta do to keep up with my weekly episode commitment. You've probably heard a lot over the years and particularly recently about the Internet Tax Freedom Act. Have you ever wondered what it is? Well, Listen on, and you'll know everything you need to know about the act. It's hard to imagine it, but back in the 90s, there was some concern about this new technology called the Internet and whether it would thrive and grow. And there was some concern that if it was taxed, that that might somehow prevent that from happening. So in 1998, President Clinton signed Public Law 105-277, known as the Internet Tax Freedom Act. So what did it do? Well, it bars state and local jurisdictions from taxing Internet access. It also prevents imposing discriminatory Internet-only taxes, so things like bit taxes, bandwidth taxes, email taxes and also prevents discrimination against online activities uh, compared to more traditional activities. Some of the original, I think at least one of the original authors also thought that it was a codification of Quill's physical presence standard, but so far that idea has not really gone very far. So the law as it was originally passed wasn't permanent. It just put in a 10-year moratorium just to give the internet a 10-year head start before taxes started to kick in. But one thing that it did was it grandfathered a half dozen states that already taxed internet access, so they could continue to tax internet access despite the moratorium. So in 2008, what happened? Well, from 2008 onward, there was about eight extensions of the moratorium, mostly in 2014 and 2015. And then there was a kind of a pretty hotly contested and political issue about whether the moratorium should be made permanent. There was concerns about whether those who lacked resources would have less access to the Internet. And then on the other side, there were those who saying, well, the Internet's pretty established now. I won't get into the weeds here or the politics of it, but in the end, the, those on the side of making the moratorium permanent won. So in 2016, President Obama signed the Trade Facilitation and Trade Enforcement Act of 2015. And tucked inside of this act was the Permanent Internet Tax Freedom Act. And so what this did was it made that prohibition on taxing internet services permanent. So it's not a moratorium anymore. There's no deadline off in the future at which the 
prevention of taxing internet access services is going to go away. So what happened, though, to the grandfathered states? And that's why you're probably hearing a lot about it right now. The permanent legislation created a June 30th, 2020 cutoff date for those grandfathered states. And so starting July 1, those grandfathered states are no longer going to be able to collect sales and use tax on internet access service. So what does this mean in terms of revenue? Well, these numbers are obviously always fuzzy, uh, and I haven't fact-checked them, but let me just kind of throw these out here just to give you a feel for the scope. Well, word on the street is that the grandfathered states are going to lose about $1 billion in revenue in 2021, the, the first full year in which they no longer collect tax on internet access. That represents, I'm told, about 2% of sales tax collections. So not a huge deal normally, but in our COVID world, this is really going to hurt, especially for some states like Texas and Ohio, which make up the bulk of that lost revenue. Now, one thing that's going to be interesting here is that when you buy internet access services, nowadays that's almost always going to be bundled up with something else, be it cable television, or perhaps your wireless telephone plan. And so these states are having to issue guidance about what you do now when you have a bundle that has internet access in it. Well, in Texas, they've, re they've released some guidance and they said that you can either separately state the charge for internet access service, or if you don't do that, then you can establish through your books and records a reasonable allocation of the charge that's attributable to internet access service, which is no longer taxable. Ohio has issued some guidance as well. They tax internet access as electronic information services. So if you have other electronic information services that are bundled up with non-taxable internet access services, well, those other electronic information services are not going to be taxed, but that's only if they are not a significant part of the internet access. So in other words, if they're not a significant part of the internet access, they can kind of piggyback off the non-taxability of the internet access charge. Sometimes we get so focused on the prohibition against taxing internet access services that what gets lost in the weeds is the anti-discrimination provisions in the act. It basically means that you can't tax something done over the internet differently than it's done through traditional means. Now, let me give you an example. If you think back to an episode maybe last month where me and some of my colleagues talked about the new trend towards digital advertising taxes, well, think about that for a second. If you tax digital advertising that's done over the internet, but don't tax regular advertising not done over the internet, well, many of us think that this creates a problem and is prohibited by the Permanent Internet Tax Freedom Act. So keep this in mind as revenue-starved states start to forge off into electronic commerce and the digital economy. Always keep in the back of your mind, is this tax on this digital service provided over the internet, is it somehow being treated differently than a similar service that's provided through traditional means. 
and there may be some opportunities there for protection under the act. So there you have it, the Internet Tax Freedom Act in a nutshell. Go ahead and drop me a line if you have any questions that I didn't answer. The Llamas and I thank you for listening. Until next week, this is Matt Hunsaker for The State Tax Show. The State Tax Show podcast is produced by Baker and Hostetler, LLP, and is for informational purposes only. It is intended to inform our clients and other friends of the firm about current legal developments of general interest. Issues discussed should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners should not act upon the information contained in this podcast without professional counsel. In some jurisdictions, this podcast may constitute attorney advertising. The hiring of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Please visit BakerLaw.com for more information about our practices and experience.